Future trading involves risk and is not suitable for all investors. Content provided in this segment is meant for educational purposes and is not a solicitation to buy or sell commodities. Hello, and welcome to From the Furrow, brought to you by EverAg Insights. Each week, we talk with subject matter experts on news and topics affecting the grain markets. I'm your host, Britt O'Connell. It's a great day to be a Wisconsinite. The Packers finally got a win. There's a fresh coat of snow on the ground. And this weekend is the biggest holiday of the year for many. Opening weekend of gun deer season. God bless America. God bless Wisconsin. <laughs> Let's get started with a review of the markets. Today is Wednesday, November 16th. December 22 corn is down seven, trading 659 and three quarters. January 23 beans are down 15 and a quarter, trading 1442 even. Turning to our guests this week, it's our privilege to have John Doggett, CEO of the National Corn Growers Association. Thanks for joining us, John. Well, good morning and thanks for having me. John, many of our listeners are familiar with the National Corn Growers Association, but I think it'd be helpful to start out with what are some of the goals of the National Corn Growers Association and how do you work directly with growers? Well, first of all, our goal is to expand opportunities for the people that raise corn in this country. Uh, we do that every day. We do that with a uh, board of directors of 15 farmers elected from around the country. We have uh, seven action teams. Each of those teams has uh, 14 or 15 growers, and each team has a has a jurisdiction, so to speak. Uh, there's the ethanol team. There's the risk management team. You know, we have various teams doing various things. And, and then we have 126 uh, voting delegates that get together twice a year. So a lot of input from farmers about what they want their organization to do on their behalf. So it is very much a grassroots, bottom-up type of organization that I've been involved with for the last 20 years. Excellent. You mentioned that the National Corn Growers Association has a relationship with the ethanol industry. What does that relationship look like? Well, I, you know, we have been involved with the ethanol industry from its inception. In fact, there are those that would say uh, that the corn growers actually started the ethanol industry. I, that might be a, a bit of a stretch, but I don't think too much so. The corn growers have been involved with ethanol from the very beginning, back in the 70s, when we referred to it as gasohol. Not a particularly great product uh, when it first came out. And certainly the, the industry and, and what it's done has changed a lot, and we have changed with it. You know, we've constantly been involved with uh, the various ethanol organizations. We have very spirited conversation from time to time, but certainly uh, we work hand in glove with those folks and, and they with us. And uh, we've we've come a long, long ways by working together. The ethanol industry has certainly been great for America's corn growers, and it's exciting to see some of the changes and evolutions that that industry has made over the last 20 years or so. Speaking of sustainable solutions, sustainability is kind of a buzzword these days. What sustainable uh, initiatives does the National Corn Growers Association have, or what are your aims when it comes to sustainability? Well, certainly sustainability is a buzzword, and we have embraced that uh, for, for many years. Um, but the, the definition of sustainable has changed a lot. And we began that conversation with, how do we make sure that the farm is sustainable? that it can be economically sustainable so that it can be passed on to the next generation and keeping the current generation in, in, a, in a good sp space. Uh, so that's, that's been a part of the sustainability. 
uh, from the environmental perspective, because of the technology that we more and more of our farmers are embracing, we are sustainable environmentally. Not that we haven't been in the past. We've been producing corn in this on this continent for five or six thousand years. I think we've we've kind of got a few things figured out. But the, so there's the economic sustainability. There's the environmental sustainability. But it needs to be expanded beyond that. What about our rural communities? You know, if you want to have a sustainable farm. You want the next generation to come, but that local community, you know, lost its hospital, lost its its school, or lost its its movie theater. Those are the kinds of things that are, you know. There's the community sustainability. Do you have a viable community? And then the other part of that, one that we have had a lot of discussion around, and sometimes that discussion gets off into to the ditch because I think people misunderstand kind of where we want to go with this. But sustainability also talks about inclusion. Uh, and we're not talking about woke politics. We're talking about how do we embrace new and diverse ideas in our industry, on our farms, and in our communities that allow us to have a multitude of perspectives that allow us to make better decisions and come to better outcomes. So, no, we're not going to have, uh, you know, we're not looking at how many uh, thousands of Hindu uh, corn farmers are we going to have in this country, but can we can we bring a few more folks from the environmental community into our discussions at various levels? Can we bring in folks from the hunger community to have discussions around some of the things that are important to them and also very important to us? So sustainability is is a word that gets redefined about every six months. And we have been part of that, and it's been an interesting venture. I think it's so important to have those conversations with groups and organizations across party lines, if you will, or in other sectors, because I think what we find when we, when we sit down and talk is we really actually always have more in common than we think. And telling the story of production agriculture in America to me is of growing importance as we have a larger portion of our population further removed from you know production agriculture it's it's increasingly important to tell our story because we've got a great story to tell so we appreciate you and your team kind of making that a focus as you move forward well i think it's not only important to tell our story it's important to listen to the stories of others yeah you know we 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 tend to as human beings you know get in our own little echo chamber and self-support all of our own ideas uh, over and over again. So we need to listen more to folks. I, I think, you know, that uh, uh, there's a lot of knowledge out there in farm country, but there's also a lot of knowledge other places as well. And if we all could just share a little bit more and listen a little bit more, I think maybe things could come to better conclusions. Speaking of crossing party lines and things top of mind, this is another farm bill year. And obviously, there's a lot of focus being put on that as we still sort out, you know, the seats in the Senate in the House. But how does the National Corn Growers Association work with policymakers during a farm bill year? And what are some of the top priorities that you all hope to see in next year's bill? Sure. I'm in, and I've been through six farm bills in my tenure in Washington, D.C., and um, there's a lot of things that are in common and, and each one is slightly different, but I think uh, farm bills are more uh, evolutionary rather than re revolutionary. But the way we approach it is, first of all, make sure we have good policy. What are, what are the things that we're looking for? What are the things that we, we oppose? 
you know, how do we want to set this up? And we've we've spent a lot of time with our action team that uh, is involved in this, the uh, risk management action team, 15 farmers working through the details, working through the, the you know, the nitty gritty of farm progr- uh, programs. So we get done with that. And then that goes to the voting delegates and the voting delegates say yes or no. And then we have a policy. And once we have a policy, then that is turned over to our DC operation and they use a lot of farmer input and a lot of farmer participation in talking to, to elected officials and staffs up on Capitol Hill. And we work through that process and it is a, uh, it's, it's a marathon and you know, um, this next one is going to be real interesting to see how this turns out. Excellent. Well, we'll all be, I'm sure, paying attention to some of the conversations that are being had ahead of the farm bill, just knowing that it is really critical to to have our representation known. Kind of shifting gears a little bit, trade has been top of mind among producers lately. It's certainly been in the headlines as corn exports struggle as of late. Um, certainly there's a lot of conversations around China, Ukraine, Mexico, each of them sort of having their moment in the sun with a, with a headline here and there, but what are the top trade issues that you and your crew are currently monitoring? Well, absolutely right now that the biggest trade issue that we're dealing with is, uh, this proposal from the, the Mexican president that they will... Um, not allow the importation of, of GMO corn. Given that well over 90% of the corn produced in this country is GMO corn, uh, there's no reason, scientific reason, not to use GMO corn. Mexico is our largest export market. You think about what would happen if we stopped exporting corn to Mexico. One, it's going to be a problem for U.S. corn farmers, but secondly, it's going to be a disaster for the Mexican people, many of whom live below the poverty line. Um, we are producing a safe, affordable food stock that is used mostly for, for uh, meat production, livestock production. But how are you going to replace that in an, in an economy and in an, a nation of very small farmers who don't have access to a lot of technology? And it's going to be a real problem. And I, I think it's, uh, it's sad that we're having this discussion in face of some real severe uh, economic issues in Mexico. So uh, that's the big one right now. China is always, uh, boy, can we just break into that market? You know, it, it ebbs and flows, but certainly each peak is getting a little higher and, and each low is a little, not quite as low. We're going to be exporting a lot of, of ethanol there. I think there, there's a great potential uh, in the Chinese market, as well as there is across uh, Southeast Asia. We've been there several times in the last few years. There's a real desire to, to use uh, U.S. corn uh, around the globe. Excellent. Well, we all appreciate the work that you all do on that front to continue to promote on a global level the corn producer's product because it is it is a critical part of our supply and demand equation. You've been in and around production agriculture and ag business for more than 30 years. I, I hate to tell you this, uh, Britt, but I am older than 30 years old. I've been involved in agriculture my entire life. So and, <laughs> and that is just a tad bit over over 30 years. Uh, so 40 it is. All right. So All right. you've been in, in, involved in production agriculture 
and ag this for a number of years. <laughs> what are the biggest challenges and changes that you've seen in the last, I would say three decades, but I'm going to say in your lifetime? Okay, I'll, I'll take it from the perspective of, I, I came to Washington, D.C., and brought my, my wife and my two lovely children with me. And I promised my parents that we were going to be gone for two years, five at the most, and then we would come back to Montana. That was 1988. Uh, math is really, really hard. But um, in, that, in that 35 years, nearly 35 years now, um, a lot of changes have occurred in Washington, D.C. And the problems aren't in Washington, D.C. The problems is we keep sending folks to Washington, D.C. that say, I'm going to go to Washington and fight. I'm going to go to Washington and I'm going to fight. And then we go and look around and say, well, gosh, why can't those folks get anything done? All they do is go to Washington and fight. We've lost our sense of civility. We cannot function in this society with the meanness and the nastiness that is occurring. And it isn't just in Washington, D.C. It isn't just in Congress. It permeates our society. And certainly, why would we... Why would we wonder why things can't get done in Washington when people, all they do is fight and run for re-election? And when they run for re-election, they raise money by saying, I need your money to go so I can go back to Washington and fight. That has been really the single most disappointing thing in my career is to see that we are more and more partisan. At, um, there are 12 appropriations bills that have to be passed every year by the beginning of the next fiscal year. So the, fiscal year for the federal government starts October 1. 12 bills need to be passed. And, you know, each bill, there's there's commerce and two other departments. And then there's interior and EPA. And, you know, so there's 12 different bills. The last time all 12 of those bills were passed into law by the beginning of the fiscal year was 1996. Let me repeat that. The last time all 12 appropriations bills were passed by the Congress and signed into law by the president was 1996. In that time, we've had Republican uh, presidents. We've had Democratic presidents. We've had both chambers having majorities in either party. This isn't a one-party problem. This is a problem where they're just not getting their stuff done. If they can't get appropriations bills done, but they want to go ahead and fight all the time, we need to, we need to send better knuckleheads to Washington, D.C. <laughs> and, you know, don't vote for somebody that preys on your fears. Don't for fight. vote for somebody that says they're going to go fight. Vote for somebody that says, hey, you know, I'm going to go to Washington. And I might listen a little bit before I start talking too much. Insightful for sure. What a concept. It isn't the, it isn't the folks in D.C. that I'm talking to. They're the people in Mark County, Montana and, you know, North Central Iowa and, um, Tallahassee, Florida, and San Marin County, California. We all are responsible for the folks we send to Washington. These people aren't manufactured in Washington, D.C. There is not a politician factory in Washington, D.C. that manufactures these people. We select them in our communities and we send them to Washington. So, you know, we, we just need to be better citizens. That's, that's who the, the, the issue lies with. Again, thank you for those insightful comments. We certainly appreciate it. Well, as we wrap up, you're planning to leave the National Corn Growers Association next year and start a new chapter in your life. You've got some really interesting hobbies, including kayaking and skydiving. What's what's next on the agenda for John? You know, 
I've, I've approached this as a great new adventure and I'm just excited as I can be some days. And then there's some days that just, I am absolutely terrified. You know, I'm going to be moving out of the house we've lived in and for the last 34 years, I'm going to be changing my career. Uh, you know, I'm looking for other opportunities and I'm, I'm have a few discussions uh, over the next few weeks with uh, some people about doing some consulting. I'm going to do some, uh, some volunteer work. Uh, I've, been involved with the Big Brothers and Sisters uh, on an advisory committee that they've uh, put together for diversity and inclusion. Uh, it's kind of interesting. I'm, I am uh, the token old white guy, and uh, which really is an interesting perspective. And it's I've I've learned a lot doing that. But I'm, I'm looking to, you know, I want to do some some work that uh, puts some money in my pocket, but I also want to do some work that makes me feel good about things. And so. Uh, do good and do well at the same time. Explore some some new things to to um, churn the creative juices. Uh, I want to spend more time with my my wife, my kids, my mom who just turned ninety two, my brothers back in Montana, and most especially, I want to spend some time with my granddaughters who uh, keep me very busy. They are uh, uh, they're seven and nine and uh, full of a lot of energy, and uh, they still think Grandpa John's kind of a funny guy sometimes. So that's kind of cool. Well, excellent. Thank you so much, John, for being on our podcast today, but more importantly, for the work that you and your team at the National Corn Growers Association has done and will continue to do on behalf of the American corn producers. We certainly appreciate it and wish you all the best as you step into that next chapter of life. Well, thank you. And you, you used a, uh, a word that I, I, is really important to me, and that's team. And uh, I've had a, a great career, and, but it's, uh, I haven't done any of this by myself. I've had a, uh, just been able to work with some really great people, and I have a great team at NCGA on the staff level, uh, worked with great teams uh, of growers, and it's been a, it's been a real pleasure. And um, it's been a lot of fun for 20 years. I wish them all the best. I leave this organization in really good hands. John, if listeners would like to learn more about the National Corn Growers Association and how they can get involved, how do they do that? You know, easiest thing is go to www.ncga.com. Pretty easy. Awesome. Well, we hope that uh, many of our listeners will do that. Thank you to the EverAg Insights crew for making this broadcast possible, especially Cora Romero, our producer, and Paige Driscoll for mixing and mastering today's production. If you've enjoyed listening to From the Furrow, make sure that you don't miss an episode by subscribing to our podcast, or feel free to give us a like or share us with a friend. 